Okay, guys, we're in uh, chapter 2 today in Luke, verses 25 through 35. The title of the message is, Are You Following Christ? Are You Following Christ? I will go ahead and read the passage that we're going to look at today. Luke chapter 2, verses 25-35. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Father, Lord, I just ask for the help of Your Spirit today, Lord. Uh, God, to give, to give uh, your, your people understanding of Your Word, Lord, and to help me. Lord, protect me from error, God. May Christ be glorified, and may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so are you following Christ? is the title of the message. It's one of those messages, guys. Um, First of all, we're going to look at, just real briefly, this. when we go through this, uh, uh, see a little bit about the life of this guy named Simeon. Not... Not much is known about him, but we're going to read a little bit about his life and, and just the song that he sings here to the Lord. And um, but as but I, I believe as, as we look at this text, I believe that we can see through looking at some things that were true in his life, some looking at looking at some truths that he was proclaiming to uh, Mary and Joseph. I think we can see what a true Christian looks like, what a true follower of Christ looks like. So it's really going to be one of those messages that I think it's good and healthy for us to have from time to time. Um, You know, to just ask this question, am I a follower of Christ? And I really like that phrase, a follower of Christ. Um, Not just, are you a Christian? Because that that, that can become rather a cultural term. No, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And I was thinking about why it's important to, to have a message like this from time to time. First of all, for our own self-examination. Make sure that we are truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, and of course, if you are, to give you assurance. To give you assurance from the Word of God that you truly are a follower of Christ. And, and then also to build you up. To build you up in the faith. To, to remind you of what a follower of Christ looks like. So that you can help explain that to others. That's why it's always good... It's always good to have these, these type of messages. Um, and maybe you don't see that on the surface here, but I think as we go through this text, we can surely see some evidences that a follower of Christ would have. 
And so the question is, are you a follower of Christ? Are you following Christ? The question is not, are you a Baptist? Not, are you a Pentecostal? Not, are you a a Calvinist or an Arminian? The question is, is are you a follower of Christ? Are you following Christ? That's the question that's going to go on into eternity. And that's the question that's going to matter whether we can answer in in the affirmative, yes, I am a follower of Christ. So what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Guys, it means that Jesus is leading. <laughs> right? To follow somebody, that means Christ is he's leading. So Christ, in other words, He's not following you. You're not the one in the lead and Christ is following you wherever you want to take Him. No, it's we're following Him. And so, are you following Christ? It, it, it makes me think of the uh, passage that we so often visit, Matthew chapter 7. This is why it's so important to answer this question now, guys. To have this question affirmed in your heart that you are a follower of Christ. To help explain to others what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because this day's coming. When all the nations will stand before Jesus Christ and He says this, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father who is in heaven will enter. Verse 21, that verse, we see many, many will have a profession of faith. Many will have a right profession of faith. They will call Jesus Lord. Maybe even believe that He is God in the flesh. Maybe believe the facts about the Gospel. They will have a profession of faith. But we have to understand, guys, that merely a profession of faith means nothing. I didn't say a profession of faith means nothing because we should have a profession of faith. But if it's just merely a profession, but it's empty, it means nothing. Titus 1.16 Paul says that there are those, they profess to know God, right? They profess it. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their deeds. It says they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So that's this group in Matthew 7. They're going to profess to know God, but their very life is going to become, it will be evidence that they really didn't know Him. In verse 22 in Matthew 7, Many will say to me, on that day, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, there's, there's that profession. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many mighty miracles? Again, lots of religious activity. But obviously these people weren't true followers of Christ. In verse 23, And I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That goes right back to that Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their deeds. It says being detestable. They were detestable and disobedient in their everyday lives. So in verse 23, what is Jesus saying? Depart from Me. You're a stranger. I don't know who you are. You aren't one of My followers. What does Jesus say in John 10? My sheep hear My voice and they follow Me. So that's why, this, that's why this message is important. Just to remind ourselves to give you the assurance that you're a follower of Christ. And by God's grace, if you're not a follower of Christ, to see the truth in the, in the, in the Word of God so that you would become a follower of Christ. And help. And, and obviously for, for us who are following Jesus Christ to be reminded of these great truths so that we can clearly proclaim to other people who may be caught in error what it means to be a follower of Christ. So on your bulletin, on your, on your outline, have a question at the top, in the, and then the sermon will help answer that question. What are some evidences that you are following Christ? You notice I didn't put the word all, 
This is not an, an exhaustive list, but these are some evidences that I think we can see right here in our text of, um, of someone who's following Christ. Okay? So let's go through this. Verses 25 through 27 is our first point. So the first evidence that we're going to see in this text of a life of somebody, somebody's life that's following Christ is that it's going to be a life that is led by the Spirit. A life that is led by the Spirit. Verses 25 through 27. We'll just take it one verse at a time. Verse 25. There is a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Looking for the consolation of Israel. Well, matter of fact, we'll just stop there in the middle of that. He was righteous and devout. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and read the, read the verse. Um, looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We'll stop there. So just, Simeon, all we know about him is what's right here. Okay? It's, it's commonly held that he was an older gentleman, but it doesn't say, but he probably was. This was probably a guy who was uh, on up in his years, who had been looking for the Messiah. We can see that from the text. And um, so just a faithful guy. But I want you to notice something. Before we really get into what it, what it looks like to be led by the Spirit, I want you to notice the phrase that appears in all the first three verses, 25, 26, and 27. We see the Holy Spirit three times in this text connected to Simeon. And so first of all, before we even look at the life that is led by the Spirit, just understand that the Holy Spirit was a reality in his life. In Simeon's life, obviously. The Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is a reality in his life. Guys, and that is very, very crucial when we're talking about this whole idea of are we following Christ? Because guys, that's like, a, uh, that's like an essential. <laughs> if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is going to be a reality in your life. Is He a reality in your life? Is the work of the Holy Spirit a reality in your life? I hope you can answer yes and amen to that. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, guys. Paul really spells it out here at this very point that I'm making. Just the simple reality of having the Holy Spirit. He says in verse, chapter 8, verse 9, You are not in the flesh. Okay, in this section, before I, before I read this verse, in this section, the contrast is between a believer and an unbeliever. So this phrase in the flesh here, it's just simply referring to somebody who's not in Christ. Okay? So he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he can't say it any clearer than he does in the second half of this verse. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Okay? So the reality of the Holy Spirit, guys, is essential to being a Christian. All Christians, in other words, have the Holy Spirit. There's not a Christian in this world who doesn't possess the Holy Spirit, okay? It's the, uh, the Holy Spirit is our spiritual DNA, I guess you could say, right? How would, we somebody, how would we know that somebody was from my bloodline? Well, you could take a DNA test. I guess that would show, right? And so if we know we're truly of Christ's line, spiritually speaking, we're going to possess His Holy Spirit. All Christians have the Holy Spirit if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Him. Okay. Now, we can see this reality 
Again, in Simeon's life of just the presence of the Holy Spirit, guys, and we're going to see, you know, uh, uh, we're going to look at a life that is, the, the Bible uses different terms. Sometimes it'll be a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit. All of it really just means the same thing, a life that's controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to use, we're using the phrase, led by the Spirit. Is the Spirit of God leading us? So this first point, a life that is led by the Spirit is going to be the first evidence that we see in this text, and that's true in the Bible, of a person that is following Christ. Look at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was, first of all, we see he's righteous and devout. Okay? So under a life that is led by the Holy Spirit, that person's going to live a life that's righteous and devout. Okay? Very, very simple. His life... This is what we know about Simeon. He was righteous and devout. That means he, it's just his life was righteous, guys. First of all, we know that he had been made righteous like any other Christian through the righteousness of Christ. Obviously, he had trusted in this Messiah. He is waiting on Him. That's been his whole life. He's waiting on the promised King to come. So he's... He's righteous positionally because he has trusted in God. He has believed the promises of God. But this is even speaking about his life. He lives a righteous life. Think of his everyday life. It's righteous towards others. He lives a godly, holy, righteous life. And he's devout. That means his life towards God. God is the center of his being. He wants to live a life to please God. He's righteous and devout. What would this look like in a practical sense lived out? Well, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is what's going to produce a righteous and devout life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The first thing we see about Simeon is that he, he was a righteous man. He was a devout man. He loved the Lord his God who sent the Messiah to die for his sins. And obviously the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, guys, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we are yielding to the Spirit will produce this fruit. It's not our fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit. So it's going to be a reality, guys. Not in perfection. But these things we need to be seeing in our lives to know that we're truly walking or we're following Christ. This, this life that is led by the Spirit. A second characteristic of a life that is led by the Spirit in verse 25. Look at the second part of verse 25. Simeon, it says, He's looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He's looking for the... He's looking for the consolation of Israel. He's, what this phrase means, guys, he's simply looking for the coming of Christ. That's a reality in his life. This man who obviously is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he's looking for the coming of Christ. He's looking for and waiting for the Messiah. That's what that phrase means. In other words, the comfort and the encouragement that the Messiah is going to bring for him personally because he's a man of faith. He's waiting on him. He's waiting on the promised one. 
the comfort and the encouragement that it's going to bring him and the nation. The nation of Israel. His nation. It was not in a good position at this time at all. Largely, it was apostate, this nation. God always has a remnant. Simeon's part of that remnant. Anna, who we'll look at next week's part of that remnant. Mary and Joseph. Zechariah and Elizabeth. But as a nation, they were largely apostate. They were under Roman oppression. So he's, he's anticipating the coming of the Messiah for many different reasons, but I would think mostly for the, just the promises of the new covenant. The Messiah that's coming, that's going to usher in the Holy Spirit, usher in the promises of um, all the promises that come with the new covenant. This new life, the new heart, all of these things. The promised Messiah who would destroy the, the works of the devil. So all of these reasons... He's, he's longing for the coming of Christ, guys. He's longing for the appearance of Christ. This is somebody, somebody who is led by the Spirit of God, guys, is going to highly anticipate and long to see the coming of Christ. In our, in our case, it would be the second coming of Christ. So you, do you desire that? Do you anticipate that? Do you long for that day? Oh, somebody who's led by the Spirit, guys. Just like Simeon is going to be longing for Christ. Longing for His coming. You ever think about what that would be like be here when He comes? More than likely, we're going to go to Him first. <laughs> but just to be with Christ. That's the point here. He's longing for the appearance of Christ. This is going to be reality if anybody who's being led by the Spirit of God... Listen to Titus chapter 2, verse 13. In the verses above, in 11 and 12, it says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and these things. And then verse 13, it says, speaking to this person, that, that the grace of God has come, and, and the grace of God is a reality in this person's life. It says they will be looking for the blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope. And the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Do you look for that day? Do you long for that day? Are you looking for that blessed hope? The world's not, guys. That's the point. If you're not, there may be something going on in your life that you need to examine. The world is not anticipating and looking for the coming of Christ. They're either mocking it or they're dreading it. But the Christian... And specifically the one who is being led by the Spirit of God, right? That means you're not living in a habitual life of sin. You're following after Christ. There is just, there is that looking for, there is that desire for Christ to appear. And much like Simeon, Simeon in his day, the, the nation, his nation was under the, under the oppression of the Romans. But guys, Think about our world. Our world is under the oppression of the devil. Our entire world. The Bible says in 1 John 5.19 that, that the world lies in the power of the evil one. By and large. Right? We know God is sovereign. God is king. Christ is king. But the devil is the, the God of this world. Little G. Right? He's God's devil. But I mean, all you have to do is look around. This place... This place is, is wicked. It's dark. 
And, but what this does, it makes the Christian long for Christ even more to come and make things right. He will. He'll make things right. So somebody who is led by the Spirit, they're going to be, obviously their, their life is going to be righteous and devout. They're going to be looking for Christ's coming. Verse 26, we see, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, we, we do need to, to point out that, that Simeon was receiving special revelation from the Holy Spirit Okay, in this, in this text. Something that you and I don't in the same way. Okay, He was receiving special revelation. You can see it here in verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's special revelation that you and I don't get. Okay? So don't try to imitate that. <laughs> don't try to come in here and say, God gave me a word, and Christ is coming back before I die. Because what you're doing, you're setting a date. <laughs> so don't, we don't want to try to imitate Him in that. This is special revelation. But, but somebody who is led by the Holy Spirit, guys, I believe we can see from the whole of Scripture that the Holy Spirit reveals truth. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to those being led by the Spirit. And I would say He also gives the desire to proclaim that truth. That's the truth. If you're being led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal the truth of God's Word to you that He's not going to do with somebody of the world, somebody who doesn't possess the Holy Spirit, and they're certainly not going to have a desire to proclaim it. Well... Maybe they do, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit, for somebody who's led in the Spirit, guys, He will reveal truth to us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.14. A natural man, again, this is speaking of a non-believer. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or discerned. So in other words, somebody who does not have the Holy Spirit cannot understand the things of God. Their foolishness. And because these things must be discerned by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who gives us the understanding of God's Word. That's all that means. The things of God. Right? The things of God that the world thinks is foolish. Think back in your life. Especially those of you who maybe were converted a little bit older, um, at an older age, you know, as an adult or even as a teenager. Think back before your conversion of your understanding of the Word of God. There was nothing there. It was dead. It was... I looked at the Bible as just a story of a bunch of guys riding on camels through the desert. I'm like, why would I want to read that? I know that sounds kind of funny, but it was just a dead, boring book. Why would I want to... I didn't know anything about it, but that's in my mind. I was like, that is the most boring stuff. <laughs> but it's amazing when you're born again and you now have the Holy Spirit in you and that Word just bounces off the page and you understand it because you see it speaking to you and to your heart and to your sin and encouraging you. And, you, and you, the more you read, you're like, this happened to me. That's this work of the Spirit, guys, that the world does not have. He gives illumination. He gives illumination. He helps us understand the Word of God, the things of God. Those who are dead in their sin, they cannot understand these things. 
It doesn't matter how much education a person has. These things are revealed in 1 Corinthians 1, in most part, to, to, to whom the world would consider foolish, right? You can find somebody who has no education, but is in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, and that man or woman is wiser than all the wise men in the world combined, and they understand the things of God. So the, so the Spirit of God reveals these things to us. He reveals them to us. So we don't know when we're going to die, like Simeon. You know, He had some kind of revelation that, that the Messiah was coming before, before He was going to die. But what we do understand, what, what is revealed to us are these simple truths of Scripture. Something so simple like the gravity of our sin. We understand the gravity of our sin. We've been born again. We see what God has saved us from. Now we understand the danger that others are in. They're dead in their sin. They're asleep. They're oblivious. But we understand the warning of, of Hebrews 9.27 that death is coming and that judgment's coming after death. These are things that the world, because they're under the power of the evil one, they're just blind. And so we have these things revealed to us. We have these things revealed to us. What has happened to us? That we have been made into a new creature in Christ. That we're not good. That we're, that we're wretched, but that God has saved us. All of these truths, guys, that we, that we talk about. It's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And now we want to go proclaim it. We want to tell our neighbor these very essential truths that are really simple truths. But they are hidden. They are hidden from the wise and the prideful and the arrogant and revealed to those who, are, who have humbled themselves and come to Christ. So a life that is led by the Spirit, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be manifest as a righteous and devout, faithful life. It's going to be somebody who's looking for Christ's coming. The Holy Spirit will reveal truth to somebody led by the Spirit. And somebody, and lastly in verse 27 under this first point, Somebody who is led by the Spirit is going to be led into the presence of Christ. Into the presence of Christ. is going to be desired to be in the presence of Christ. I guess you could say. Verse 27. It says, he, Gideon, or, uh, Simeon came, and, came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. So in other words, this is, whole one, this is all one section. Remember you guys we read about last week? When... Um, when Mary and Joseph were in the temple carrying out these sacrifices. And so that's what we see. Uh, I keep wanting to say Gideon. Simeon was here. And um, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Beloved, in our case, by way of application, very simple, the Spirit always points to Christ. It always leads to Christ. The Holy Spirit always, when we're being led by the Spirit, where are we going to be led to? Into the presence of Christ. That's, he's going to be everything. Christ is it. We see this in John 16. Be reminded of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit, we'll see in these verses right here, John 16, verses 13 and 14. This is so key to remember this, guys. It can keep us away from all kinds of foolishness, all kinds of foolishness. Jesus says this, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. 
You hear this? Truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you to all truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose it. He will disclose to you what is to come. In verse 14, He will glorify Me, Jesus says. The Spirit will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. Why is that so important to remember? First of all, we just have to remember that the context here, He was talking to His apostles. Okay, When the Spirit comes, He's going to remind you of the things I said. So when you write Scripture, the canon is going to be authorized by me. He's going to give it to you. Okay, but this is applied. To, but this can be applied to all of us in in a sense that He will reveal truth to us. But look at verse fourteen. That's that's what that's the point I'm making here in this point. He will glorify me, for He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. He will disclose it to you. In other words. Church, the Holy Spirit will not ever bring glory to Himself. That's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings glory to Christ. He he doesn't ever seek attention for Himself, but He points to Christ. Are you led by the Spirit, guys? Are you led by the Spirit? If so, an indication of somebody who's led by the Spirit, you will be consumed with Christ. You will not be consumed with the Holy Spirit. You'll be consumed with Christ. Do you you see where I'm going with this? Okay, if a church or an individual's focus is the Holy Spirit and not Christ, it's not the Holy Spirit that's leading them. It's another spirit. Okay? I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is not important. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. But many times the Holy Spirit is blasphemed. In some of these churches. The emphasis is all on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to testify of Christ. So that's a good indication to know. Whether we're being led by the Spirit. It's always going to focus. Make the, the focus is going to be Jesus Christ. So that's our first point. It's a life led by the Spirit, guys. What are some evidences that you are following Christ? Number one, it's a life that is led by the Spirit. Okay? Two, in verses 28 through 32, it's a life that is thankful for Christ. A life that is thankful for Christ. Really, really closely attached to what we just said, right? I mean, if, you're, if your life is being led by the Spirit, your whole life's going to be consumed with Jesus Christ. Well, we can see in verses 28 through 32, a life that is thankful for Christ. Verse 28, it says, Simeon, then he took him, he took, he took Jesus the baby into his arms and blessed God. And then we're going to see this, this song that he sings. But he blessed God. He was blessing God for Christ. He blessed God for the promised Messiah. Guys, do you, what does it mean he blessed God? He praised God. Do you, do you bless God? Do you praise God for Christ? That, that should be the flow of our heart. We thank God for, for Christ Himself. I mean, we're to be thankful in all things, the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't, even say, it doesn't say give thanks for all things. I mean, I'm not thankful for a tornado that blows somebody's house away. But we're to be thankful in all things, knowing that God is at work to sanctify us, to draw us closer to Christ. So we're to, in other words, that should characterize a, a Christian as somebody who's just very thankful. 
Okay? But even more so, guys, are you thankful specifically for Christ? What He has done for you to provide a way for you to be forgiven and redeemed? Are you thankful, in verse 29, for the peace that Christ alone can give? Look at verse 29. Now, Lord... Because that's really what this is, just a song of thanksgiving that that Simeon's singing for sending the promised one. He says, Now, Lord, You are releasing Your bondservant to depart in peace according to Your Word. Mm. Are you thankful for the peace that Christ alone can give, guys? We see Simeon being thankful for Christ. Thankful for the coming of Christ. And we also see Simeon being ready now to depart. He's ready. In a similar sense, guys, we need... Because what we see, we see Simeon seeing Christ with his physical eyes. Now he's ready. He's ready to depart in peace. It's so important to understand we need to see Jesus Christ with our spiritual eyes before we depart this earth. We need to have a a clear, salvific revelation of Christ. We need to see Him with our spiritual eyes before we ever depart from this earth. What's the phrase the world uses all the time at the funerals? R.I.P. Rest in peace. It doesn't matter who it was, right? Whose funeral they're at. It's always a rest in peace. And beloved, you know what the Word of God says in Isaiah 48, 22 and other places as well. There is no peace for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. How often do we see that? Somebody who lived a vile, wretched life, had no, no desire for Christ, and the world saying, he's resting in peace now. Don't believe that lie for one second. J.C. Ryle says this. He said, It is not enough to be weary of pain and sickness and ready to submit to anything for the sake of a change. In other words, guys, what he's saying is he's, he's relating this whole thing about resting in peace. In other words, who doesn't want to escape pain and sickness? Everybody wants to escape pain and sickness. But listen to the wisdom of his statement. It's not enough just to be weary of pain and sickness and ready to submit to anything for the sake of a change. And that's what the world does. See, I can look at We'll just, I'll just give an illustration of two men here. Rocky, I know, who has ALS. There, there will come a time when we can truly say, Rocky's not suffering anymore. And we'll be able to all say that. But you think of another man who had the same disease, Stephen Hawking. And I can promise you, I didn't go back and look, but I can promise you there's people saying, oh, he's not suffering anymore. When he literally died on his deathbed blaspheming God. Now his suffering just began. There's no peace for the wicked. It only comes through Christ. Beloved, aren't you thankful for Christ? Aren't you thankful for His blood? His blood having made peace through the blood of His cross. That's why you and I can be thankful. That's why I can preach one of your funerals and I can say, this brother or sister is no longer in pain. He's experiencing his or her salvation in full. What a blessed thing it is to preach the funeral of a believer. I've got the privilege of doing that. And it's a celebration, it really is. But there's no peace for the wicked. 
But there's everlasting peace for those who are following after Christ because He's made peace through the blood of His cross. And that's what we're trusting in. His work on the cross. Do you have peace with God? Romans 5.1 Paul says, Since we have been justified by faith, by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to have peace with God. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. You must trust in Him alone. You must repent of your sins and trust in Christ. You can have peace with the Holy God and the peace of God that passes all understanding. That allows the people of God to go through such awful suffering, yet still remain joyful. Still have a peace because it passes all human understanding. It's a peace that God gives. In verse 30, He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Just the sight of the baby gave Him such peace. It had a powerful effect on Simeon. The sight of Christ. The one who He had been waiting on. The person. Again, it's all centered around the person of Christ. I have seen your salvation. He didn't even get to see the full result of it or the full work of it. The work on the cross. The resurrection. But He knew the promise of God. So His eyes of faith and now His physical eyes had seen the baby Christ. And it had such a powerful effect on Him. Beloved, how much more should you and I be affected? Think about what we have that He didn't. We have the full revelation of the Gospel. He did. He had the Scriptures. He had the Old Testament. And then He got to see the baby, the Messiah as a baby. But beloved, we have the full canon of Scripture. We have the full canon of Scripture and it all points to Him, does it not? We can go back and we can, and we can see these same promises that Simeon had, but we can see them fulfilled now in the New Testament. We can see the promise in Genesis chapter 3. And we can see all the, the symbols and the pictures and the shadows. And, and, and we can see our New Testament where all these things have been fulfilled in Christ. And we can connect the two. And we can, and we can see what he, we did or what He did upon the cross for us in His resurrection. Oh, how much more should this affect us? All of this truth that we have that God became man, put on flesh, and gave His life so that we could have peace with God. Listen to what John Calvin says. When you think about when you think about all the promises in Scripture, when we think about the reality of our salvation, okay? Think about your salvation. Think about your sin nailed to Christ, placed upon Christ. He nailed Christ to the cross. Your sin, the Bible says, the penalty has been paid in full. Right? It is finished. It's complete. And Calvin says this, if such a sight all of these truths about the Gospel. If such a sight does not bring peace to our minds and make us go cheerfully to death, then we are highly ungrateful to God. That's very convicting, guys. I mean, and we think about what Christ has done for us, guys. And we don't go cheerfully to death. I mean, we really are. What are we telling God? It's really not that big a deal what you did for me. Guys, this, these are the truths, beloved, that 
that will give you peace through the strongest of storms in this life. Just remembering what the Son of God did for you and what awaits you on the other side. True peace. Peace awaits you. Everlasting life awaits you. Everlasting comfort awaits you. Jesus Christ awaits you. Oh, how thankful. Beloved, how thankful we should be for Christ. That's one, of the, that's one of the indicators that we are following after Him. That we now have a heart that's alive to God that was once dead and we're just following after our Savior. Do we do it perfectly? No. Not at all. We fall. We stumble. We get discouraged. We don't walk by faith sometimes. That gets us in trouble. You know, if you want to be discouraged, just stop walking by faith in what God says and believe your emotions. You'll get depressed and discouraged. But set your sights upon Him. Be thankful for Him. So, beloved, have you seen Christ? Have you seen Christ with your spiritual eyes? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? He is so good. This whole idea of seeing Christ. Remember what the Apostle said in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 4, John and Peter specifically, as they were... Uh, they were answering the threats of the authorities. They simply said, we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. It's going to be a reality in a person's life. Beloved, that's following Christ. You've seen Christ. You've tasted. You've seen. You've experienced the new birth. Let me ask you this. Do you ever speak about your salvation in Christ? They said, we can't stop. We can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. And in, in, a, and in some form or fashion, that truth should be true in our lives. I mean, we're talking about the God of heaven saving us from His wrath, and now we have eternal life. The point is, we tend to speak about that which we're thankful for. Do we not? You're thankful for something, you're going to speak about it. Are you thankful for Christ? Verses 31-32, we're still looking at that. The saw idea of him being thankful for Christ, the song of praise. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation in verse 31, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Beloved, are you thankful for Christ? Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, John says, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He's simply saying, Jesus Christ paid the price not only for our sins as the Jews, but also for all the other nations, the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. So in other words, he's saying that God is not a respecter of persons. He came to save those of all nations, all tribes, all tongues. So beloved, are you thankful for Christ? Are you thankful, first of all, for your personal salvation? Right? Because there has to be a personal salvation. Have you experienced that? But are you also thankful that God came to save others? Not just us. And aren't we glad that it wasn't just for the Jews? But that it was for us as well. It was for Shiloh's people and my people. <laughs> no, it was for God's people. It was for God's people. 
Okay? Don't ever get into that my people, your people stuff. Okay? You are my people because you are God's people. Jesus Christ came to save His people from their sins. All of those who would repent. All of those who would believe. All of those who would look to Him alone. That's who He came to save. It don't matter where you're from, what kind of money you have, what color your skin has. He came to save sinners. This salvation is for all peoples and all nations. I'm going to read the uh, Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. If you want to jot that down, we see the Old Testament, one of many, an Old Testament promise to this fact, Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. Anyway, the context, he's, he's speaking of his servant that he sent in the Messiah. And he says he sends him, uh, or in verse 6, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 6, I was looking at 7. In verse 6, he said, I am the Lord. I have called you, speaking of his servant, the Messiah, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and, from, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Beloved, He came to save the nations. He came to save those who are in darkness, who are in the dungeon of sin and death. That's who He came to save. Are you thankful for that? And in verse 32, but we can't leave out this, and the glory of your people Israel. The glory of your people Israel. Isaiah 46 verse 13, if you want to jot that down. He says this, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay and I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. So when you think of Israel, when you think of God, first of all, choosing Abraham, right? Abraham wasn't a righteous man. He was a pagan. And God chose him by His grace and through him came all the covenants, the promises, the law of Moses, the nation of Israel, the temple service. And so all of these were great privileges that God gave this nation. But the greatest privilege, the highest honor and glory for the nation of Israel was that the Messiah Himself would come through them. He would come through their loins. The Messiah would come into the world. But sadly, we read in 1 John, or not 1 John, but John 1.11, it says He came to His own and His own did not receive Him by and large. The people of Israel, by and large, did not receive Him. And so what a tragedy that since that time, most, not all, most of the nation of Israel are blind spiritually. They have been blind and by and large have rejected their Messiah. But at the end, the Bible says in Romans 11, it says, when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, many Jews will believe. They will see the ones that they have pierced. Or they will see the one that they have pierced. So I, I definitely believe that God is not finished with the Jews, physically speaking. That's very clear in Romans 11. There's, there's going to come a time. So it, it's described as the fullness of the Gentiles when there's going to be a large number of those from the nation of Israel converted and so, beloved, are you grateful that Christ is no respecter of persons? That's the point. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful, like our, our verse, right? Our, our, our church theme verse, Romans 1.16, 
that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. They did take the gospel, went to the Jews first. Then it went to the Gentiles. But it's for all who believe. That's the promise. And so do you, do you demonstrate your thankfulness by proclaiming it and by being no respecter of persons? It's for all who will hear. It's for all who will hear. Lastly, guys, what are some evidences that you're following Christ? It's One's going to be a life that is led by the Spirit. Two, a life that is thankful for Christ. Three, a life that is cross-centered. Cross-centered. In verses 33-35, And his father and mother, Joseph and Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. I mean, of course. That's my first thought that came to my mind. Of course they were amazed. This is their baby. This is their child. And this is the promised Messiah. And so, what? They're, they're, yes, they're amazed. They're, they're getting further revelation about this child. You think about what's already been proclaimed to them by, by the angel. I think of Mary's conversation with Elizabeth and all these truths. But they're hearing more truth about this child. And so with reverence, with reverence because they were righteous people, they believed and embraced these truths. In other words, guys, make an application, not only in their life, but in ours, they continued to make progress in the knowledge of Christ. They were receiving more revelation of Christ and they were amazed. And so this is, this is part of, a, of what we see here, we're going to see here in this, in this last section. Part of a cross-centered life, guys, is a passion to grow. Do you have a passion to grow? Do you have a desire to grow? Somebody who's following Christ, guys, is somebody who's been made alive by Christ. And you're going to desire to grow. I think of Peter's last words in his second letter that we that we covered a few months ago. Remember where he said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's growing in the truth. It's growing in the truth. They were amazed at the things that were being said about Him. The truth of who He is. Are you amazed? The more you learn about Christ, the more you come to know Him, does it just amaze you, His love for you? What He's done for us. The, the, the truth that we, that we learn about Christ and the truth about, that we learn about ourselves and what God has done for us. It's growing in the truth, guys. Not growing, not, not through experiences. Not, not, let me say, not merely experiences. If you're walking with Christ, you experience God. But we grow primarily not through experiences or not through merely or primarily conferences that we go to, but we grow through the ordinary means of grace, being in the Word of God, being in prayer, studying the Word of God, being under the preaching of the Word. We grow in the grace and knowledge of our, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The truth, beloved. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Are you amazed at the Word of God when, you, when, you're, when God reveals more of Christ to you? That's the whole point of the Christian life. We're growing. We're being conformed to Christ. Our eyes are being opened further. We're seeing how great our God is. 
how deep our sin really is and how merciful He truly is. Verse 34 and 35, we really see the offense of the cross here, these last two verses. And His Father, Mother, were amazed at the things which were being said about Him. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. The rise and fall of many in Israel, beloved, this simply means the salvation and damnation of many in Israel. You think, of, you think again of the nation of Israel as a whole. You think of the religious leaders. You think of the Pharisees as a whole. Jesus pronounced woe on them. And most of them perished in their sins. But you think about others that, that God plucked out. You think of the Pharisee of Pharisees, Saul of Tarsus, that God saved him. And beloved, this truth is timeless. This is not just true for the nation of Israel. This truth is timeless. The rise and fall of many. The cross, right? The cross divides is the point. Jesus said, I came to bring not peace but a sword, right? He said, I'll divide even families. And the line of demarcation is the, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. You're either for Him or you're against Him. Second Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. Paul says, For we are a fragrance of Christ, right? To God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The rise of some, the fall of others. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. Beloved, this is primarily speaking about the Gospel that we, pre that we preach. It produces effects. It produces effects. There's no neutrality, right? People don't just say, oh, I'll hop on the fence and I'll just kind of be in the middle. No. Jesus said, if you do that, you're against me. And then this phrase here, at the end of verse 34, for a sign to be opposed, beloved. For a sign to be opposed. He was a target, in other words. The sign to be opposed, the Messiah was to be a target or even a magnet of the devil's fiery darts. Hated by the world and rejected by most. A sign to be opposed. The opposition of Christ is what this is meaning. The opposition of Christ. This is the cry of our world, is it not? By and large, this world opposes Jesus Christ. It made me think of a, a, a truth that I've thought about over the years. That there, many times, you'll have, you'll have people who are enemies of one another, but they can come in agreement on one thing, and that's their opposition of Jesus Christ. You ever saw that? You ever seen that? Here's an example in Scripture in Luke 23. You can also think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't agree on a lot of things, but they agreed in their opposition of Christ and many things. But in, in, in Luke 23 and verse 7, so Jesus had been before Pilate at his arrest, and it says this when he, when Pilate learned that that he, uh, Jesus, belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also in Jerusalem at the time. And then go down to verse twelve. So he went and stood before Herod. His soldiers mocked him. These type of things. And now in verse twelve, it says this: Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. 
It's amazing how the world can come, they can come into agreement by and large when they're opposing Jesus Christ. You see that all the time. You see it with, with other religions. You think of Muslims and Hindus, totally different belief systems. But when it comes to opposing Christ and persecuting the church, they're in agreement. Atheists, right? Atheists and Muslims and Hindus, Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics has put more Christians to death probably than any other group in the history of the church. All these groups, they have their differences. But because the same Antichrist spirit is behind them, whether it's individuals or groups, they come into agreement in their opposition of Jesus Christ. He's a sign to be opposed. And so this world, beloved, is opposed to Jesus Christ and always will be, by and large, this world. I believe the Holy Spirit, through, through Simeon's message here to Mary, was helping Mary to be prepared for the cost of following Christ. It's not a popularity contest, guys. And we see that in verse 35. His last word to Mary here, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A sword will pierce your soul. No doubt he was speaking about the cross when she would see her son be crucified. Okay, so, so in immediate context, he's speaking to, right, Jesus' mother. And he's speaking about the cross. We know she was there. Preparing her to endure his opposition, his crucifixion. But beloved, it applies to all Christians as well. Maybe not the exact way it applied to Mary. But are you willing to endure the pushback and the opposition of the world? The mockery and the hostility towards Christ. Towards you. Beloved, in this Christian life, many times you'll have few companions. I used to have a lot of companions in my old life. And by God's grace, I do have several companions. But as far as the world goes, you're not going to be popular. You're not popular when you're willing to follow Christ. Some situations you'll be all alone. You really will. You'll never, it'll never be a majority in this world. I don't think Scripture ever teaches that. Your soul will be pierced when your Savior is blasphemed and you're taking the brunt of it. Your soul will be pierced. Or when you're rejected by those whom you love, those whom you've poured your life into, and they reject Christ and reject you. Your soul will be pierced. A sword will pierce your soul. And we're about to finish up, guys. In verse 35, he says, A sword will pierce even your soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This last phrase, guys, is connected to the previous verse. For a sign to be opposed, a sign to be opposed to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So that, that opposition of Christ, the cross itself, the opposition to the cross, the hostility of the cross. In other words, this last phrase here, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed, it just simply means this, guys, to wrap all this up, that Jesus Christ, His Gospel, His cross, reveals the hearts of people. 
It reveals the hearts of people. It cuts to the chase. The cross is scandalous. It always has been and it always will be. That just means it's offensive. It's shocking to this world. When you preach the cross, it shocks people. Being scandalous even has the idea of being horrifying. When you preach the truth of the cross, it shocks and horrifies people and many times because for the first time they are being told with authority from the Word of God that you are wrong. Everything you thought about yourself, that you're so good and you're so righteous when in reality you are wicked, you are hell-bound, you are hopeless. And there's only one way of escape. And it doesn't matter what your opinion is. The world does not want to hear that. But that's what the cross reveals. The cross reveals people take sides, in other words. They take sides. I don't want a God like that. This, the message of the cross, what does it say? All the other religions of the world are from the devil. That's what the cross says. That's what the gospel says. That's what God says in His Word. That there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And your opinion doesn't matter. That's the cross. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And your opinion doesn't matter. And you're going to go to hell if you reject this message. That's offensive to this world. But what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 1.23? We preach Christ and Him crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, right? To the religious crowds, it's a stumbling block. But I'm a good person. But my religion can save me. But all of my works can save me. And to the Gentiles and to the world, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. There's no neutrality. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. This is the truth of the Gospel. We don't change our message either. You want to turn the world upside down for Christ? Go preach that message. <laughs> You're like, that doesn't even make sense if everybody hates it. But what did God promise in 1 Corinthians 1.21? It pleased God through the foolishness of that message preached to save those who believe. Those whom God has chosen, those whom God will call, those whom God will justify and sanctify, He will do it one way and that's through His Gospel. So we're to proclaim it, right? We're to proclaim it, proclaim it, proclaim it. We're to proclaim the words of Jesus Christ. If anyone desires or wishes to follow after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow after Me. Whoever desires to save his life in this world will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Beloved, that's the message. We stick to it. We can't save anybody, but God can save whom He pleases. But it comes as we live a faithful life and as we proclaim this one and only message that sinners need to hear. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your clear Word. God, we thank You for the reminders in Your Word of what it means to be a follower of Christ, God. It's not a popularity contest. But God, You have saved us. You have saved us from Your own wrath. You have saved us from an eternal hell. And Father, 
You have the words of eternal life. Where else will we go? We will follow you. God, we will follow you. We will love you because you first loved us. God, we will, we will follow our Savior. Father, we will proclaim His name. We will worship Him because He is worthy to be worshipped, God. We thank You for saving our souls. And Lord, I pray, God, that, uh, that Your people would be encouraged. God, that they would have further assurance that, they're, that they are Yours. That they are following You, God. None of us are going to follow You perfectly in any of these areas, God. But I pray that Your Holy Spirit, God, will seal this message to our hearts and our minds, will encourage us to take up our cross and to follow after Christ, Lord. And we just uh, want to sing praises to Your name now. In Jesus' name, Amen.